Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. Good evening, Foothills Youth. Good evening. That was better than I expected. <laughs> I was just going to say it and I was going to see what would happen. Um, Happy birthday, Alex. It's not my birthday, Happy but. Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. You know, I didn't expect tonight to start off like that, so that was cool. And it also saved me because my introduction was going to be what I do here at the church and that I go to Ambrose, but Abby already did that. So thank you. You killed it. Um, But then Hillary just saved that by making it interesting again, so thank you for that. (laughs) If you didn't catch it already, my name is Dallas. Uh, I used to be a youth leader here as well. That's a fun fact. Um, And then tonight, yeah, Andrew asked me to speak. Um, and I'm actually super stoked to be preaching because I'm going to be sharing on something that I actually care very much about, and that is women in ministry. Um, you guys are starting this series tonight that's uh, all the questions that you guys gave to Andrew that are things that you want answered or talked about in church that often aren't. And so the first one we get to talk about is women in ministry. A little bit of background as to why I am up here talking about women in ministry is I've actually wrestled with this quite a bit myself over the years. I, growing up, I had different influences in my life. I had mentors on both sides of this scenario who were trying to convince me of what they believed. So I had mentors who were what you would call complementarian. So they believed that men and women have distinct roles and that's kind of what they hold to. And then I also had people from foothills and family members who were what you would call egalitarian and that's men and women are equal. They both share the responsibilities and the roles within the church and the home. But nobody ever really gave me compelling evidence as to why they believed what they believed. They didn't show me scripture, and I didn't really know what to believe. So I ventured off on this journey um, for about, I don't know, maybe a year or so. I was wrestling over this. And then last year, I had a chance to do a talk on it for young adults. And so I dove headfirst into it. I was reading books. I was reading articles. I'd listen to podcasts. I'd listen to other sermons from other pastors. I would talk to people. And most importantly, I read this book, the Bible. Um, because I wanted to know what does God actually lay out. I wanted to believe it for myself. I wanted to know what he was telling us. Now, there are a lot of texts throughout the Bible that pertain to this question, so we are not going to go through all of them because it starts in Genesis with the creation story and it continues on throughout the rest of the Bible. I don't think you guys want to be here till 11 o'clock at night, so we're not going to do that, but we'll just pick out a few. Um, If you have questions afterwards, though, or there are passages that you wrestle with and you want to know what I think or what I've researched, come talk to me after. I'd be happy to talk, uh, and I would love to share my thoughts with you. Before we dive in specifically, we do have to clarify a few things. First of all, we have what we call in Christianity essential questions. These are things that we have to believe, essentially. These are things like that Jesus is divine. He's fully God, and he was fully man. We also have to believe that the resurrection really happened. These are essential questions. We also have non-essential questions. Now, the question of women 
as pastors, as preachers, as teachers in the church, this is a non-essential question. Now, understand me, this does not mean that it's unimportant. In fact, it's quite the opposite, which is why we're sharing about it tonight, we're talking about it. It just means that it doesn't define your salvation. So if you hold a different view from what I'm sharing tonight, or from what Foothills believes and Andrew and I believe, feel free. Like in all things, there must be unity in the church. That is our main point. So regardless of what we believe, we are to love one another, we are to respect one another, and from that perspective, we can approach this question. So let that settle into your hearts as we, as we look at it. Um, as we turn to scripture and what it says about this question, we have to understand how scripture works and how we can interpret it, how we can understand it for us today. And part of this work is uh, what we call hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is basically that we read the text from a point of view that examines the historical and the cultural context of what was happening when it was being written, what was happening in those societies, why would they say these things? Because the reality is, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, parts of it, some of it even older than that. So it's to a completely different people at a completely different time. So we have to ask ourselves, does this text have cultural and historical connotations that affect how we read it today? Another thing we have to understand is that we fall under the Bible as authority. This means that scripture determines what we believe here, and it's not defined by culture. We look at what does the Bible say, and then what does it mean? How do we respect not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law of the Bible? So traditionally, the New Testament displays elders as only men. This is traditionally found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, especially. And see, the church used to assume that elder and pastor, the offices, the titles, were synonymous, meaning they were one and the same. So if elders were only men, then pastors could only be men. However, if we look at Paul, who arguably wrote 13 letters of the 27 books in the New Testament, so he's done quite a bit of work, he actually encourages that these roles are not specific to men, but instead are reserved for those who the Holy Spirit gifts to do the work. Now, this is a little bit of a topic in itself, but we have to understand spiritual gifts in order to understand equality between men and women as the Holy Spirit is the one who governs, who teaches, who leads, and who, who pastors as well. So the first part of this is found in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, you are welcome to turn into your Bibles and try and follow along. We're going to be flipping through a bunch of different passages, though, so it may be hard to keep up. But we're turning to 1 Corinthians 12 first, and we're going to look at the spiritual gifts here. And this is the best part that it talks about spiritual gifts and who is to receive them. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, for in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. It says the same thing in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What we're getting at here is that the cross eliminates the sociological hierarchies that destroy women. And now all of a sudden, because of Jesus, you have male and female as one in the context of the church. Romans 12 also talks about spiritual gifts. It says this in 12 verse six to eight, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So right off the bat, scripture clearly lays out that the Holy Spirit is the one who determines who gets which gifts. We as the members of the church do not have the right or the authority to say to somebody with the gift of, say, leadership, that they can't lead. It's not up to us. And there is no mention of gender when it comes to the gifts. In fact, as we just read, it says the opposite. There's no male, there's no female. The Holy Spirit determines. This means that in Christ, neither has superiority over the other, not male over female, not female over male, but they are in fact equal. See, in Paul's context, he grew up in first century, the beginning of the church, the world would have been amazed at what he was saying because there were distinct roles for men and women in this culture. Just as there was no Jew or there was Jew and Gentile and they didn't mix, men and women had different things that they would do. The women were traditionally at home, they would take care of the family, things like that when the men would go out and work and they would be educated. And Jesus came to abolish just those separations. Like he came and he invited everyone into relationship with him where they can receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 is a well-known chapter for its passage on men and women, specifically husbands and wives in the household and their roles. But we're going to skip back a chapter to chapter 4, verse 11, when it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So right here, when he says the pastor, another word for pastor would be shepherd. And if you look, the Greek word for shepherds or pastors, it's poimain. And the Greek word poimain, there is, there is no indication of gender. It's male and female. Think about it for a second. Like, have you ever met a woman who is good at leading or teaching or preaching or administration or any of these things? Just think about it for like, one second you probably have somebody in mind maybe it's you yourself if you're a woman you might be thinking about it. i can point out people in this room who have some of these gifts who are brilliant teachers apostles pastors administrators many other things they're in this room and they're way beyond you so i'm going to pose a problem for you my spiritual gifts are administration leadership and teaching or preaching now with that in mind, the way I operate, the way I think, is I'm concerned about the whole church. How does the whole youth group operate? Are they moving in the direction that Christ wants us all to move? I'm thinking flock-focused. There is another view, which is called sheep-focused. Those are the pastors or the shepherds, the people who care about the individual and who will walk with you. They're the people who will meet you once and memorize your name forever. The best example of this I can think of is Pastor Ian Trigg. If you know who he is, he's brilliant at it. He is a pastor. It's brilliant. But we need both of these people in the church. So what happens if the church inhibits women from using their spiritual gifts in the church? I mean, look around this room. Like, at least half of you are female. If half of you couldn't use your gifts in the church, we would be missing out on a lot of necessary gifts. 
When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, Peter says this, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my sermons, servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter here is quoting Joel 2. Joel is an Old Testament book that's prophesying about when Jesus comes and he sends his Holy Spirit. So this is already going back to Old Testament. Pastor Mark Clark from Village Church says it this way. Right from the beginning of the church, we get this image that God is going to pour out his spirit evangelistically, missiologically, from a leadership level, from a prophecy level, on both men and women together, and not just reserve it for men. The biblical image of men and women says that even if there are distinct roles in the home, they are not a matter of equality or essence or value in any way. In the same way, Jesus is not the same as the Father or the Spirit, but he is, in his essence, equal with the Father. He is not less than because he needs to submit to an idea, and no member of the Trinity is jealous of the other. If we look at the life of Paul himself in Romans 16, he goes on this large rant about all the people that have served with him, and a number of them are women, including a woman named Phoebe. Throughout Paul's ministry, he has women surrounding him, helping him, teaching, leading. And in chapter 16, they're seen as patrons, which is like a giver. They're apostles, they're leaders, they're preachers. So we have all this to say that men and women can and should be serving in the church. So what do you do with the problem texts? There are a couple texts that stand out as significantly problematic if we just read them for face value. And we're going to examine a couple of them here. The first one is 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 12, which says this. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 to 35 says, The woman should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Books like 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, or letters rather, can be tricky to understand when they have passages like these that seem to complicate the question. But see, the Apostle Paul doesn't say anything like this in any of his other letters. So logically, we can deduce that he's probably talking about a specific scenario to a specific group of people. In the first century, right at the beginning of the churches, let's set the scene. The way churches worked back then is women would be in one room and then men would be in another. Somewhere in the middle, they'd come together and there'd be a person speaking, not really like this kind of thing where I'm up here and you guys are down there, but somebody would be sharing, somebody would be speaking. And the thing is, like we said, women weren't as educated at this time because culture didn't allow that. So women are on one side of the room and they don't understand what's being said. So they're calling to their husbands who are way over on the other side of the room saying, I don't get it, can you explain it to me? It's like if, I don't know, if Shauna was yelling all the way over to Sarah right now in the middle of me talking. It'd be kind of disruptful. So that's what he's talking about here. Or think about it this way. Have you ever watched a movie 
with somebody who just like doesn't stop talking. Maybe you're that person. If you are, hang out with my girlfriend because she's that person. We were watching a movie. I'm not kidding. This was like a couple weeks ago. We were watching a movie we had never seen before. And in the middle of it, she's turning to me. She's like, what's happening next? How is it going to end? Why is he doing this? I don't know. I'm watching the same movie as you. Let's just watch and we'll find out. Anyway, what we must understand about 1 Timothy is that it was written to Timothy. Timothy was a real person. He was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is responding to a letter that Timothy had written to Paul about some of the issues that he was experiencing in his church. This is not a letter like Romans where it's sent to a bunch of churches over a big area about general statements, but it's a personal letter. So he's not necessarily setting this up as something that's true for every church of every timeline forever and ever. Also, in Ephesus and Corinth, they had what they called Artemis worship. Artemis was a fertility goddess. And the problem was a lot of these women in the town started worshiping Artemis. And they began to believe that the end times were coming, that they were actually superior to the men. And so they, they started ignoring their husbands and they started thinking that they could do whatever they wanted. So then they would come into the church and they would start spreading false gospels. They would say false teachings. And so Paul is just saying that these women need to stop doing that and not spread false teaching. They are not goddesses, and they should not use their, their authority found in Jesus in an impressive way. There needs to be humility in the church from men and women. In 1 Corinthians 11, which is three chapters earlier than when he says women should not speak, he says this, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So, obviously, 1 Corinthians 14 can't mean that women cannot speak in church because three chapters earlier, he's already said they can. They just have to have their head coverings on, which was just a way that they were supposed to respect the culture. It was very modest. They didn't want to stand out that way. And it's funny, when we look at passages like these and we hear the words that say a woman should not speak in church, but we also neglect key words that also are like learn. Paul says at the beginning that a woman is to learn. This in itself is already a progressive statement because like we've been talking about, women were not educated. They weren't allowed to. They were to stay at home and care for the family. That was their role. Here comes Paul and he says, no, 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 actually, it's a beautiful thing that a woman should learn. They should just do so quietly and not disrupt the church. Like I said, Paul has a number of women. He has Prissa, he has Phoebe, many others he talks about who are going all over Rome, planting churches, spreading the gospel. There is evidence threaded into all of his writings of women who are excellent teachers. The reality is Jesus came for the poor and the marginalized. He exemplified for us what it meant to lift those up who had been previously put down. As apprentices of Jesus, we follow the ways of Jesus. And when we read that a, a woman should not exercise authority over a man, we can't read that and then infer the opposite and say that a man should exercise authority over a woman. 
That is not what Paul is saying. Lastly, when it comes to the question of preaching, we have to understand that what I'm doing right now or what Andrew does each week is not the same thing that was happening in the early church. We have this sort of modern construct of preaching where we write a nice introduction and then Abby steals it and then you come up with something else and you have your three points and then you do your other things. You end with a final conclusion. That's not exactly how it was back then. People didn't go to college for X number of years and come out with a theology degree and then say, okay, it's my time to preach now. So we can't imply that scripture says women can't do this because it doesn't. The overarching, get, get this if you get anything out of tonight, the overarching image in the Bible is of men and women working together to build the kingdom. There are difficult passages like these two and, and others that are very com- complex linguistically and contextually, but there are cultural moments that have to be considered. The church, here's our stance, the church agrees with the basic feminist suggestion that women are equal partners in life but it disagrees with the political and bottom line notion that men are bad. The unfortunate thing is sin has disrupted godly men and women. We fight for hierarchical and totalitarian authority over one another. We abuse the authority that has been given to us and we put each other down. There's a, there's a movement called the Church Too movement. It's, uh, it was derived out of the Me Too movement, if you've heard of that. For those, for those of you who haven't, uh, the Me Too movement was something that protested against the, the violence and oppression that women face. That's just a brief tidbit of it. The Church Too movement started out of that because there were men in the church who abused their positional authority to diminish, to violate, and to oppress women. The reality is the church has failed historically to uphold Christ's image of men and women. When we begin to believe that one gender is superior to the other, we completely disregard the life and teachings of Jesus. The Bible calls out men, not because they are bad, but because we need to be better. We need to be Christ-like. This has tragically not always been the case. And so tonight, on behalf of the entire church, we want to honor you women in this room tonight as the beautiful, gifted, and valued daughters of God that you are. Not as inferior, not as superior, but as our equal partners in the mission that Christ has called us to. We want to be part of a shift in church culture where women are encouraged to preach and lead as the Holy Spirit calls you. We want to make the church a place where women feel safe and supported. So we're gonna do something a little bit different, but I wanna invite all of you women in the room as leaders and as students to stand up in a moment because the church needs to get this right. Ladies, God has unique plans and purposes for each of you. And some of you might even lead a church one day, who knows? The reality is the church has been afraid to make changes and speak out because it's been this way for so long and what will happen if we change it now or what will people say will people leave the church and we're here tonight to say that we're not afraid we see that it makes sense biblically we love women 
We think you're powerful. We see your value. And we're excited about the future. There was um, one last thing, and then we'll end in prayer, and, uh, and you guys can go off to your life groups. But there was an article that went out a little bit ago, and I heard, it about, it, heard about it in a sermon, actually, um, that was talking about church movements. And apparently, one of the largest church movements right now is happening in Iran, mostly led by female church planners. And it's the same thing in China. Why? Because the one thing that we can be sure of is that women step up when the men do nothing. So women, I invite you all to stand as leaders and as students, and we just want to pray for you, not as like superior, but we just want to say a prayer of encouragement and support over you. And gentlemen, we're going to be praying for them. So in a moment, once they're all standing, just if you want to pray in your hearts, guys, or if you want to raise a hand towards the women, we just want to honor them as our sisters, as our partners, as our co-laborers in Christ. I just invite you to pray with me now. So if you want to close your eyes, bow your heads, we'll end with this. Lord, thank you for these wonderful, powerful, gifted, and unique women. Thank you for blessing all of your children with gifts, regardless of gender. Thank you that in Jesus, the barriers that once separated us are now destroyed. The cross redeems the inequality and invites us into a life where men and women partner together in the church. We ask for the abolition of inequality and instead look for unity. May the women know their giftings and their callings. May they be encouraged to use them. Would the church be a safe place where women are lifted up and can lead? Thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit and empowering us for good works. We live under your authority and we pray for the women across the world who are pastoring and planting churches and leading churches. May they be an example to us. We pray all these things in your great name, Jesus.